Welcome to School of Movies. <laughs> Welcome to the second of this year's Halloween Spooktacular series. The Rocky Horror Picture Show. The Rocky Horror Picture Show is a must for all of you. If you don't go and see it, I shall personally come around to your houses and drag you out by the scruff of the neck. I shall belt you around the mouth and mouth you around the belt. Do you understand what I'm saying? See the Rocky Horror Picture Show, rated R, under 17, not admitted without parent. Yes, this one surprised even us. But see, the thing is, our dear friend Maureen, whose birthday it is today, has a big thing for Tim Curry, specifically doing his Dr. Frank persona. So this is a special present for her because she's awesome. With us tonight are a gaggle of outrageously dressed miscreants. Ian and Megan Hopwood, long-time listeners, occasional New Century voices, and similarly dear, dear friends. Hello. Good morning. Hello, you guys. Ian has literally only just seen this a couple of days ago for the first time, so he's going to have some stuff Ooh. to say. Hopefully, <laughs> <laughs> okay, maybe. Uh, Neil Taylor, veteran of many, many years of our podcast, as well as his own. Hello, Neil. Hello. I see you shiver with an anticipation. <laughs> and from sequentially yours on YouTube, Karen Nagisa. Perhaps you'd better come inside. Hey there. Hello. Okay, so this movie was made 41 years ago this year. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> Want to feel old? I mean, like, most of us, I assume, weren't around when it came out. But uh, there, 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 there will be some listeners who were at least, you know, born at that point. I almost was. Yeah. It was greenlit by some well-meaning Fox execs in the early 70s and nearly got buried by a bunch more that took over from them. It emerged to confused reviews, empty auditoriums, and to those who already loved the stage show it was based on, it was considered a poor copy. It took several years for it to start making money at midnight screening, steadily achieving cult status. Eventually it became notorious, specifically in the United States, for its raucous fan base, who frequently showed up to sing-along versions of the show, with participation prompting and in full costume. It cost $1.4 million and flopped on release, which, as you might imagine, looks pretty bad. Over time, it has made $140 million, which is chicken feed compared to, say, The Avengers, but 1,000% profit in the long run. Okay, so before we start this, um, because we're going to be tangenting all over the place like a series of explosions at a pinball factory, for the benefit of those who haven't seen it or those who have seen it but just don't get it, can you guys describe what the living hell happens in this movie and indeed in the stage show? I had that same question too, and I watched it two days ago. Well, I mean, there'll be people who have never seen it. So, like, if we just launch into it and start talking about the stuff, you know, in the church, like, they're going to be lost. So, we're going to have to give them a, a synopsis this time around. And you know, even people who've even even seen it will be like, "But why did it? And what? And why did they at the end?" Because you know, there, there's times when I see it and I go, "Okay, I understand." And then there's times when I see it again and I go, "But hang on, just it doesn't." So, I mean, you guys go for it. At, uh, uh, at the very beginning, you get some lips singing. Michael Remy was ill the day the earth stood still. But he told us where we stand. And Flash Gordon was there in silver underwear. Claude Rains was the invisible man. Then 
Coffee Ray and King Kong They got caught in a cellular jam Then at a deadly pace It came from outer space And this is how the message ran end up singing a wonderful, wonderful song, one of my favorite kind of musical songs of all time, science fiction double feature, that just name drops a lot of um, kind of 50s and going all the way back to the 30s, science fiction, horror names, B-movies, uh, movies. B-movies basically, yeah. Uh, well, not all of them B-movies. The Invisible Man was... Uh, it was a hit at its time and that sort of thing. Okay. Well, I mean, uh, B movies were still hits, um, yeah, but I think uh, the, the I, as I understand it, the assessment of B movies were A movies were prestigious, uh, like the Maltese Falcon. Actually, were noirs prestigious? Um, well, the, specifically, the B movie mm. was the one you weren't going to see. Okay, well, the second movie in a double feature. Good point. Double. Yeah, okay, right. But a science fiction double me- feature was two B movies. Uh, but the prestigious ones were things like Magnificent Obsession, where you know something that could be talked about at polite dinner parties happened. B movies are where an alien turns up and people's heads explode. Or, you know, giant ants out in the desert. I was, I've been listening to It, the audiobook. We're going to be covering that next week, folks, in yet another Tim Curry. And uh, there's a point where they start talking about um, you know, being at the cinema, and uh, all the kids are screaming uh, at, at the, the latest gory boom movie, but that's at a matinee, and that's the standard. Back in the 50s, kids would all go in to see the film with the guy with the head of an ant, and that would be the only crowd who wanted to see it. Uh, so, it, you know, all the gore and stuff, the adults were steering well clear of it. It was the kids who wanted to see this stuff. Mm, yeah, send them off, keep them busy for a couple of hours in the middle of the day. Yeah. So the Blame song... them later for the degradation of society. Yeah. Yes. So the song uh, obviously has a very no- nostalgic kind of view of that particular era, and it, it seems that the lips uh, had a very sort of... Like, the, their formative view on the world was uh, informed upon by watching these movies with, with our eyes, but, you know. It's, <laughs> yes. It, it's lips that became fuller as a result of them. Well, and it does a great job of setting up kind of the androgyny that's that's heavily featured later in the film because it's the voice of Richard O'Brien, mm-hmm. but I believe it's the lips of Magenta? Correct. Patricia Quinn, yeah. Patricia Quinn. Yes. In the, in the stage show, Patricia Quinn did both the song and, uh, like, a you could see her lips moving, essentially, on a screen. My children, me was ill, a day the earth stood. 
But he told us where we stand And Flash Gordon was there in silver underwear Claude Rains was the invisible man And mm-hmm. at first she was very upset that Richard O'Brien decided to ADR her essentially on this mm. But no, it turned out it turned out well. She was happy with it in the end, but mm. at first she was really pissed off to have lost the song. Essentially, mm. well, that mm. song um, was the reason that she decided to do it in the first place. Because Magenta's oh. part was very small, but she loved the song. Yeah, and then uh, they showed her the sets, and she was like, "Oh, what the heck? I'll do it anyway." She's actually, if you listen to her on the commentary, she's very. British. She's like, oh yes, darling, and love it. And, and her and Richard O'Brien watch the whole movie. Go, oh yes, we see that. And it's uh, one thing about the Rocky Horror Picture Show is it's just it's it's a lot less lascivious than one would, would imagine. It's actually very innocent, and it's 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 from a bygone age when you know. It kind it, of is though. Yeah, I mean yeah. by today's standards, yeah. you know, it's so <laughs> weird listening to their voices. Though you can almost hear the plumstones knocking around. Yeah, the, the, yeah the it's not actors, for me. Because of the crystal maze. Mm. Yeah. Yes. Did you notice that the crystal maze is on top of the roof, by the way? Right. Yes, I did. <laughs> it is the crystal maze. Oh, my God. I couldn't believe I'd never seen that before. Okay, we can't go through, like, we've got to do a, a quick and abbreviated synopsis so that people sort of understand right. where they stand with the movie as, as we are in each bit. So okay. the, the lips do their sync on, so then what happens? with the lips, and then we cut to um, a churchyard where a couple of young folks, um, Ordinary just people. Been married Young and middle American folks taken. have got married. Yes. yes. Betty Monroe and. Ralph Hatchat. That's, Ralph, the one. that's the one. <laughs> and uh, two of the wedding guests, Brad and Janet, a very, very well to do uh, young couple, uh, uh, are, are there thinking about maybe getting married uh, themselves. They sing a song. Um, Brad declares his love to Janet. Yes. Uh, and then they get in the car. Nixon resigns over the radio. It happens to, on the same night after uh, the Watergate scandal. They get to a, a giant Gothic castle. They just went for a night out. Mm. Were they going well, no, no, they were going to meet Dr. Scott there. Yeah, they're driving to meet Dr. Scott, who's the, the, their the, old teacher. Yeah, their old teacher. They were going to go meet him and... What? Because this is stuff people need they, explaining. Cause and then they get a flat tire. No, 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 no. What were they going to do? Like, they were, were they going to oh, go and tell no, Dr. They, Scott we're yeah, getting they were married? Exactly they met in his class. Yes. Oh, so right. they were going to go tell him, hey, we met in your class and now we're getting married. Isn't that wonderful? You're such a great teacher. Okay. That, that straightens it out. Okay. Yeah. Um, so they're, they're driving along and it's a, a wild and stormy night and uh, the tire bursts and they have to go hmm. back to this gothic castle to try and get some help and use the phone because uh, brad didn't get the spare tire fixed this is all presided over by a narrator played by charles gray who was in two bond films once as just some guy that bond, uh, bond met and and dealt with but ended up with a blow dart in his back well it could have been a ninja what done it um <laughs> and then in Diamonds Are Forever, that was You and I Live Twice, he uh, turns up as Blofeld. And I think I joked back on this. Most bizarre Blofeld. Yeah, yeah of, of all of them. And Blofeld's a pretty bizarre guy as, as it goes. So, yeah, so they get to the, uh, the castle type thing. And then what happens? They, do you want the easiest yeah. way of explaining it? Yes. yes. They accidentally blunder into what should be Frankenstein? Yes. Should? It's also a party it's, for aliens. Yeah, yes. a group of aliens are having a party to celebrate that they have created life or are about to create life. Okay, no, just so that they can match. sleep with it. And they're in, in, they're ushered into the party by uh, Riff Raff, who is the butler, who's got a hunchback, mm-hmm. and uh, Magenta, who's the maid. Yeah, and mm-hmm. uh, and is also Riff Raff's sister. Yes, the, the the party, the alien party goers meet, like sing a song called the Time Warp. Mm-hmm. 
and then the they're the trying of the house turns they're up. trying to get out of there because they think that these people are weird well no they're still trying to right. um, interrupt to tell them that they need some help but brand right. doesn't want to disturb them from doing yeah. their weird alien dancing so the master and, of the house um, turns up can someone describe him gorgeous beautiful yeah. amazing <laughs> you're too he kind he's rather tasty isn't he uh, 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 the most sensual creatures that Tim Curry has ever played. Okay. The master of the house turns up <laughs> and he's something of a dish. Uh, he is also a self-professed transvestite. He sings a song about it. Uh, they go up to his lab where he cr- he unveils his Frankenstein creation, which is a muscular uh, young man uh, who is a, a fairly simple fellow. And um, then an- another of Frank's previous dalliances... Bursts out of the freezer. He's played by Meatloaf, who was... was With a motorcycle. On a motorcycle. Was Meatloaf popular before this, or was this the thing that made Meatloaf? He's a popular popular before this. Okay, okay. Right, so he's played by Meatloaf. uh, And um, then Frank, after Meatloaf sings a song, um, this is a a biker kid named Eddie, who apparently is quite a, a rough sort. Um, Frank kills him with a pickaxe, and that absolutely horrifies Columbia, who is a dancing girl who who was previously besotted with Frank, then was besotted with Eddie. Brad and Janet retire to bed because they're now being forced to stay in this this, um, crazy home, even though everybody's now kind of wary about the fact that since there's been a murder, a bloody murder in front of their eyes, Mm. they can't sort of pretend that nothing's, you know, that there's everything's all fine here. So then what happens? Well, they are sent to different rooms, and Frankenfurter, dressing up as the other one, seduces both of them. Okay. Um, at which point, um, the Janet, the woman in this, finds out about her and Brad, or him and Brad, and then goes and sleeps with the creature. Mm-hmm. To everybody's dismay, except for hers and the creatures. Uh, Brad mm-hmm. is hurt at this, but of course she's hurt with his infidelity, so they're both on uneasy footing with one another. Mm-hmm. But immediately uh, Dr. Scott that they were going to meet turns up at the castle, not to find them, mm. but because he was looking for Eddie, someone he... Who's his nephew. Is his nephew. Mm-hmm. Right. Scott sings a song about Eddie, but then it turns out that he's into UFOs and has been studying uh, Dr. Frank and the various goings on in the castle, and mm-hmm. been, from the sounds of it, colluding with Charles Gray, the narrator? Maybe. Possibly. Uh, they, they both seem to be studying the same kind of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, the, the narrator this whole way through um, is a criminologist who's been, um, who kind of presents this story as a past case that he was assigned to. Okay. They all sit down to a birthday dinner for mm-hmm. Rocky, mm-hmm. where they eat meatloaf. <laughs> yep. Oh God! <laughs> Did they actually eat a bit of? Is that yeah, is yes. that implied that they're eating no. Eddie? Yes. I'm so yes. glad you explained that. I never would have caught that. I just assumed yeah. it was ham. He goes, "That's a." He says, "That's a tender. That's a tender subject." Tender subject. The- oh man! As yes. everybody starts to get it, except for Rocky. Oh man! The fact that Eddie was made of chicken is really kind of glossed over, but still. Is it chicken? It looks it looks like gammon or something. I it was a pork roast, but yeah. it might. I, Rocky's holding a chicken thigh when he's eating. <laughs> You're right. So they scoff down uh, roast a la Eddie, 
Uh, and then uh, Frank, uh, sick of the uh, the song that uh, Dr. Scott sings, reveals Eddie dead and disemboweled under the table, much to the horror of everyone. Then they... Janet runs into the arms of Rocky, which pisses off Frank. Yes. Which Who... is where we get our next song. Yeah, uh, as in wise up wise Janet, up wise. wise. Uh, he freezes Janet, Brad, Rocky, and Doctor Scott. Oh, and Columbia as well. Uh, from they uh, clearly he messes with their minds because then when they unfreeze, they all take part in a burlesque show dressed in in full drag. No other way of putting it, really. And uh, they they all seem to be very very up on the idea of of uh, Frank himself. Uh, then Frank makes an appearance, sings a big song about. Um, uh, being wild and untamed. Then Riff Raff turns up. This, okay, we haven't mentioned that, that he's been... The butler's been horribly mistreated and whipped by Frank repeatedly throughout the uh, film. Uh, Riff Raff, who was, from the sounds of it, previously working under Frank, um, now is going to take the whole castle spaceship back to the planet Transvestite. No. Transsexual Transsexual in the galaxy of Transylvania. Transylvania, Yeah. Um, And because they're not the same thing, folks. Uh, (laughs) It's not the same concept. It's not the same state of mind at all. But we'll talk about that later. And uh, he uh, expresses his absolute disgust with Frank, especially for his um, creation of Rocky, uh, and uh, shoots Frank and then shoots Rocky repeatedly and Rocky crashes with into a gun. with a laser gun. Uh, mm-hmm. Then Rocky crashes. He also shoots Columbia. Despite the fact Columbia. He didn't really do anything at all. Then he and his sister go back to their planet and leave Janet and Brad and Dr. Scott in drag still crawling on the planet's surface while the narrator says that uh, life while is... While crawling on the planet's face... Some insects called the human race, lost in time, lost in space, and meaning. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so so that's the film. Um, We can mine that for for what it means now. Um, Can I just say, I'm I'm glad I didn't have to pay for this. Just hearing you try to explain it and just sound like you're slowly going crazy was fantastic. Okay. I'm, uh... <laughs> you're, you're a little confused. You're a little baffled. Well, no, because, like I said, it's pretty straightforward, kind of. I mean, like, you know, the, the, the story appears to be Igor, sick of being mistreated by Dr. Frankenstein, kills his master. All the rest of the stuff is incidental. Yeah. Yeah? yeah. <laughs> I suppose pretty much the sound, size of it. I think what, yeah. what I always find a little bit um, confusing about this film is that um, because I know it primarily from the songs and not from watching the film itself. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was a kid, I bought in a double pack um, cast recordings of this and, and Little Shop of Horrors. And listen, what a pair of albums. Now, here's the thing Little Shop of Horrors, I had already seen the film many, many times. So you got had it on VHS, it. Okay. watched it over and over again, loved it. Was Two it the pieces. cast recordings of the stage shows? Uh, yes, so they were not the film. Right, right, right. Which is oh. why when we were singing, wow. I, my version you, your of it version was slightly different, different on a different yeah. key. Yeah, yeah. Um, because that's the the version that I know. So I I knew it mainly from the songs. The couple of times that I had seen it, I can remember the beginning, I could remember the end. I 
would not my brain would not retain what happened in the middle the middle is higgledy piggledy we've established this after making copious notes yes uh it's actually, it's actually pretty compelling to at the beginning it, it, it's uh, got a great song followed by a you know brief little bit of business then another great song then uh another bit of business then another great song then another great song then another great song uh with a bit of like blood curdling business and then another great song so like yeah, it's welcome uh, to the vast majority of Broadway musicals. Basically, up until the yeah. point where Eddie is killed, the whole thing just sort of romps from one song to the next, and it really is a, a, a movie where like if they didn't stop and sing, this movie would be a lot less. Well, ten minutes long. Ten minutes long, <laughs> a lot less popular. And imagine if they just said everything that they're saying. Actually, yeah. Bearing in mind that Little Shop of Horrors was originally based on a very yeah. black mm. um, film. Without with no music. Yeah. Um, if there was an original version of the Rocky Horror Show knocking around, oh, wait a minute, there is. It's called Frankenstein. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, um, okay, the, what, we, we don't usually ask this because it's an indulgence, usually for a podcast, but let's be super indulgent, shall we? Um, what are your personal histories with this? Uh, let's go with uh, Megan first. Okay. My mother actually described her experiences seeing this in the theater to me, and I was incredibly intrigued. And I think at this time, maybe I was 15. And I was like, I, I have to see this. This sounds insane and offbeat, which is all of the things that I, I really enjoy. And she let me watch it on on DVD. I think, I, I think it was probably 15 or 16. And I just loved it. I loved how just absolutely insane it was a lot of the sexual stuff still kind of went over my head it didn't all quite connect until I saw it later as an adult Um, and then I've seen the stage show once when I was living in DC the the gay men's choir of DC put it on and that was really thrilling so I've, I've experienced it in both both the film and the stage play but I've never actually been to a midnight showing uh, Neil, <laughs> um, I just got I just got thrown by first time seeing it on DVD. It's like what? My first time. Sorry, it was on video. Yeah, me too. I saw it on video in the uh, late nineties, around about the time I was um, in the habit of uh, Plex Shaw, uh, Paul Shotton, um, the my uh, previous co-host, had a voluminous VHS collection, and we'd we'd lend each other tapes. But I'd, I'd watch a lot more of his than he'd watch of mine. I had more time. I think there was one week where I watched Die Hard for the first time and then the Evil Dead trilogy for the first time and then Rocky Horror. So thank you, Paul. But um, yeah, this was, uh, you know, I I found it, you know, kicking and great fun. Um, And uh, then just, I think because I then went straight to college and did uh, quite a lot of drama, you meet, uh, you know, people in drama and also worked in a, a theatrical type uh, job. People who are particularly theatrical possess a particular love for Rocky Horror. It, it would appear. So you know, just riffing on that was uh, was where I got it. Uh, Neil, go for it. So I came across this when I was obviously a, a teenager at a, at a weird time in my life, and it was something that just really appealed to me at the time, and, and it carried on through my life. It's been something that I've I have actually seen live. Oh, cool. Uh, I can do more. I I went in costume. Nice. Nice. As who? And, <laughs> do you want to guess? Dr. Frank. Frank. 
Yep. Yay! Yeah. <laughs> Heck so it didn't happen. It. <laughs> oh, I have the one and only picture and no one's ever seen it. Oh. <laughs> Let me Even for Maureen's birthday. Just send it to her. She'll love it. <laughs> just a word of advice for anyone that wants to dress as Dr. Frankie Verta. November is not a good time yeah. to dress as Frankie Verta. Big overcoat. Keep your <laughs> yes. boots in a backpack and yeah. then just swatch, switch them out when you get into the show. I, um, oh, it gets better. I can tell you who was playing Frankie Verta. Who? Jason Donovan. Oh! <laughs> oh! Nice. Excellent. And he's good. <laughs> he's really good. He's no Tim Curry, but he's good. Hmm. Hmm. So, yeah, it's, it's a film that helped me bond uh, with friends. Uh, I was in a very, very bad place in my life when I came across this film, so it helped me bond with people, and it really helped. So, yeah, I have a very big soft spot for this film. <laughs> Hence, dressing clippers. Frank and Ferdinand, November, and I'll tell you what, fishnets and heels, November. Yeesh. Yeah. Oh, it just occurred to me, Jason Donovan playing J- uh, Joseph and then playing Dr. Frank. It's kind of like he's playing both ends of the theological spectrum here. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Um, and Caru. Uh, I have a long and storied history with Rocky. Uh, my first audience participation I actually threw in my room New Year's Eve 2000. Oh, that's great. I had all my friends there. We printed out audience participation scripts. Uh, my parents moved out of that house about three years ago and, were, and still found confetti from that night. <laughs> uh, in every crevice. <laughs> yeah. Uh, when I moved up to Orlando for school, which is where I live now, uh, the Rich Weirdos are our local shadow cast uh, over on Universal City Walk. So for a couple of years, I was going there uh, every other Saturday just for the hell of it. Um, there's a local BDSM club that in October invites the rich weirdos so they can do a version that eventually gets to full nude uh, because it's not on universal property, uh, which is hilarious and interesting. My favorite thing about it, last time I went to it, um, there was a guy who was just playing the levers. And considering the shape of the levers, you can guess what that is. Um, <laughs> so does Riff Raff just, like, pound on it when he's, uh, he's trying to get uh, Rocky to, uh, to, to come out of his tank? Just, like, twizzling and twizzling that, uh, that lever. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's, pretty, it's pretty amazing the stuff that they can get away with in a private club um but yeah other than that yeah it's i have i bought the 25th anniversary dvd kind of as soon as it came out i was still in high school at this point i'm jumping around in time but i was working at blockbuster and i got a copy before about a week before it actually came out i owned the vhs before that i've always loved rocky um I like a lot of Richard O'Brien stuff, though. I surprisingly like Shock Treatment too. Believe it or not, it, at least musically. Can you uh, yeah, musically? It's good. Yeah, I'll give you that. A lot of stupid. Yes. Oh musically. god, yes. Is Shock Treatment the one that sort of like reprises the whole Brad and Janet thing? Or uh, yes. Yeah. You may have to explain that near the end then, because I have know nothing about that apart from what I just said. Um, and That's probably all you need to know. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh, actually, tell us tell us about it now then. So, so what happens in that? All right. In shock treatment, Brad and Janet return to Denton and they find out that another mad scientist has essentially taken over Denton and has turned the entire town into what we would refer to as reality TV now. Everybody kind of has their own show and he's essentially trying to take over people with television. And there's a plot with evil twins. Uh it is even less sensical than Rocky Horror is, to be perfectly honest. Does it have good again, songs? Music, the, it has great songs, yeah. Okay. The songs are phenomenal. I highly recommend uh, looking them up on YouTube. You can see them. They're well-staged. They're, 
Uh, stylistically, they're very similar to Rocky. They're just as catchy. Um, but yeah, the plot is just ridiculous, and it has some of the same cast, but not Brad and Janet. Oh, okay. Uh, right, then. Um, so let's start back at the beginning again. We've already said the, the Fox fan- fanfare, which they... I do love it when Fox allow people to mess with their fanfare. Like, the uh, beginning of Alien 3 is a particular favourite of mine, where it just, like, holds that last night, go, the second to last night, going... Um, but uh, the... That, that, um, the sort of piano showmanship thing... Um, that that sort of tells you in for, um, I mean, uh, the uh, Richard O'Brien said originally it was going to be like what happens is that uh, red curtains sort of part to uh, to give you the the show, which obviously Baz Luhrmann was making notes there because that's exactly what he did with Moulin Rouge, and obviously mm-hmm. then his discarded notebook Zach uh, Snyder picked up and uh, crossed out uh, Baz Luhrmann's name and put Zach Snyder and then wrote the basic plot of Sucker Punch on. Um, yeah, <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, like, we, we, we've we've heard the about the science fiction double feature, um, but the first major song uh, is uh, "Damn It, Janet." Now, if you're paying close attention during this the the church scene, like Doc, uh, Riff Raff and uh, Magenta are there doing the American Gothic picture, and um, mm-hmm. Columbia is also there as a sort of uh, a girl girl in a wig um, who's just sort of mo- mooping around in the background. But Doctor Frank is there; he's he's yep. at the wedding in the background, it, like in the back of the photograph, dressed as a minister. Like it's and ludicrously tall. Yeah, well, he's a very yeah, tall he, man. Is uh, is Tim is. Curry? Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, damn it, Janet. I mean, what do you say about a song like this? <laughs> Uh, well, it gets its point across, we'll say that much, but mm. um, one thing that I like about it is everything, it, it's almost foreshadowing in the sense that everything in the background is off, whereas this is pretty much a straightforward I love you love song. Mm-hmm. But, you know, in the background, you've got a cemetery, you've got a funeral going on, mm-hmm. you've got these kind of uh, these kind of miserable church folk it's not just a funeral. Yeah. The coffin's really small. That's a yeah. child funeral. Oh, my, my favorite uh, call and response is they go, there's one thing left to do. Uh-oh. Bury a midget. <laughs> <laughs> also, um, did anybody notice the graffiti on the side of the car that comes to take away um, Ralph and Betty? Oh, it says... Um, She'll get his, or wait, she, she, got, she hers, got hers. Get now he'll get his. Wait till tonight. Yeah, yep. all kinds of fucked up things to put on the side of a wedding car. Mm, yes, but it does preempt that night. Yeah, technically, yeah, it does actually. Yeah. Mm. Um, and, and Brad Majors is a very straight laced sort of Scott Summers type guy, and uh, Janet Weiss is uh, sort of a very um, sheltered. You know, only ever kissed before um, girl from, you know, uh, a very um, good upbringing. They're middle Americans. Middle Prim, American. I believe, yes, is Prim. the term you're looking for. Uh, people who have been unsullied by uh, the, 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 the machinations of the cities. I believe um, the criminologist refers to them as normal or just normal kids like four times yeah just to you know drive home how average straight laced and completely mm. utterly all american 
these two are. Hey, Janet. Yes, Brad? I've got something to say. Uh-huh. I really love the skillful way you beat the other girls to the bride's bouquet. future is ours, so let's plan it. Janet. So please, don't tell me to can it. Janet. I've one thing to say, and that's damn it. Janet, I love you. The road was long, but I ran it. Janet. There's a fire in my heart, and you fan it. Janet. If there's one fool for you, then I am it. Janet. I've one thing to say, and that's damn it. Janet, I love you. I am very much in two minds about Susan Sarandon right now because uh, watching her in this, uh, it was always the case, I would wreck Susan Sarandon in this. She is <laughs> quite delectable. Um, and just like, just the, the, the turn from, from going like super prim and proper to being um, lascivious by the uh, middle end. Uh, it is, is is very appealing to me, but um, also she, the the real actress in real life, recently said that uh, Hillary Clinton is just as bad as Trump. In fact, she's worse. She's done worse things, which is poppycock and bunkum and uh, lunacy and genuinely dangerous because you have genuine influence, Susan Sarandon. I thought you actually had an ethical backbone. Don't say I, stuff I like that. She was it's a, bollocks. She was a Bernie supporter, but I think she has since the um, DNC uh, conf- like cleared it up and said, you know, she's not a Trump supporter. She doesn't think that people should be voting for him instead of Hillary. Or she did like say Hillary was uh, worse than Trump, though. So She said well. Hillary was more Why didn't she just say that Bernie's better than both of them? That's what she meant. Mm. God's yeah. sake. Mm. And we know Bernie but Bernie lovers love Bernie. I, you know, it's easy to love Bernie, but Jesus Christ. Archbold not touching it. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it's election season, folks, so uh, buy Arlington. It's available mm. right now on the Kindle store. <laughs> <laughs> nice plug. But with Barry Boswick, I only knew him before from Spin City, where he right. was the mayor. Oh, my and God. So, I never put yeah. that together. Yeah. <laughs> So, so as a kid, I remember watching that with Michael J. Fox, and we like that was kind of a family show. We all sat around and watched it together. And then, when my my mom had to connect that for me, she's like, "You know who that is, right?" And I'm like, "No, I. That's Brad." And she's like, "No, that's that's the mayor from Spin City." Yeah, I actually had to connect that for my mom. She didn't. She didn't pick up on. I, I'm like, "Hey." I was watching Rocky Horror. I'm like, "Hey, it's the mayor from Spin City." She's like, "No, the mayor from Spin City is Barry Bostwick." I said, "Yes, I know." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in this song there's a light there's a kind of a, a slow gathering something's gonna happen duh, 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 which kind of leads in over time warp and into the beginning of Sweet Transvestite 
Let's get out of here. For God's sake, keep a grip on yourself, Janet. But it's, it seems unhealthy here. It's just a party, Janet. Well, I want to go. Well, we can't go anywhere till I get to a phone. Well, then ask a butler or someone. Just a moment, Janet. We don't want to interfere with their celebrations. This isn't the Junior Chamber of Commerce, Brad. They're probably foreigners with ways different than our own. They may do some more folk dancing. Look, I'm cold, I'm wet, and I'm just plain scared. I'm here. There's nothing to worry about. It's got kind of an, uh, an otherworldly quality to it, but the, the hook for me is Riff Raff when it cuts to him at the window and he's, you know, oh, singing, singing his, his little, you know, <laughs> down the river of nice dream. It's, 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 you know, the, this, it's oddball poetry, but at the same time, it, it kind of, like, I immediately wanted to know more about Riff Raff and we barely find out anything about Riff Raff. Yeah. I've been singing that little part to myself since you asked me to do this, since you asked if I wanted to be interested in the show. Mm. Because that's one of my favorite musical parts. Just It stands out from the rest. And one thing that I like about uh, the music in here and, the again, um, O'Brien's music in general, is that he moves between styles very, very easily. Mm. And over at the Frankenstein Place is a great example. It starts out with, like you were talking about, that ominous, um, with that bass chord going bump, bump, bump all through it. Mm. And then it gets to the chorus, which is entirely different, but it doesn't feel out of place. Mm. Darkness must go down the river of night's dreaming. Flow more fierce, flow, let the sun and light come streaming into my life.
the time warp which we get after that. Neil, do you remember Damien's version of the time warp in the uh, early 90s? Sharon as well. Remember that yes, one? I do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's probably the first I ever brushed up against this uh, movie because, of course, you know, as a, like a, a 12-year-old kid, I'd never even heard of the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yeah, me too. I was going to play you the 90s version of Time Warp by this guy, um, but it's really hard to find now. They've stricken it from YouTube. It's not on iTunes, so I guess you'd kind of have to have the original CD or one of the many, now that's what I call music, 1990 compilations to get out of this one. And uh, the only versions that I can find are remixes and, like, people dancing badly to it at Butlins. It's a really kind of like '90s keyboard funk version of of this, and it's you know, roughly translated as it hasn't aged well, no. and it wasn't very good at the time. <laughs> the, the video was basically him like teaching kids in the street to uh, and, and sort of old ladies to do that, put their hands on their hips and bring their knees in tight, and then do the pelvic thrust, which is awkward at the best of times. But um, the actual song itself. It's totally rocking. I think about that, you know, I, 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 was, I was on board the first time I watched it, and up until the point when the time warp happened, I was like, that was the song that made me really sit up and you know, take a bite of my apple and take notice and go, okay, right, so what's this about? Mm. That Ty- song is damn catchy. Oh, yeah. Yes. Uh-huh. It's the reason why it's lasted. I'm sorry, yeah. go on. I was going to say, I've literally been at parties where people have run in from other rooms because that song has started playing. I mean, it's not, I'm not, I I mean literally as in literally, they ran from one end of the house to the other because that song came on. What, so they they got into the room just as someone was singing, and the void will be calling, and then they all joined in. Let's do the time warp again. again. Because it is very much a sort of suddenly go into a room and everyone shouts that at you at the same time type song. Yep. Yeah, pretty much. I, th- I think one of my favorite parts of this is how the criminologist slowly kind of builds into the song. Oh, yeah. Like, at first, he's very clinical. It is just a jump mm, to, to the, the left. left. And by the end of it, he's on his desk, and he's fully <laughs> on board. Yeah, Lyra likes this song as well. Of, uh, she's, I had to sort of hop, skip, and jump through a lot of this film to show her the highlights, but um, that bit she <laughs> Yeah, I, I would lo- I'd love to hear that conversation where you're trying to explain this. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, that, it's, 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 it's a fun one. And uh, for, again, British folks uh, will be able to spot Christopher Biggins in amongst the uh, Transylvanians. Um, uh, you know, in the party goers, that's not really one for the Americans, but um, but yeah, he's one of the, those guys, and uh, and yeah, that's it's a great moment. Uh, Riff Raff and Magenta, I suppose, are characterised as a, a creepy Igor type, and uh, see, well, I was listening carefully during the commentary, and um, Patricia Quinn was talking about her performance as, as Magenta, and she mentioned an actress, and I can't remember for the life of me who it was. But the, who she's riffing on as Magenta. It always struck me as uh, Marlena Dietrich. Was she the one who said, I want to be alone? 
I want to say yes, but I'm not 100 percent on that. Hold on, let me just check that one. Um, does anyone know what other actress she's sort of riffing on? Because that might solve this one. Oh. No, I, I did not come up on that in my research. I did not come up on that one. Uh, I want to be alone. That was Greta Garbo said, I want to be alone. <laughs> wow, we're off the mark. Yeah. <laughs> Either way, this um, uh, Magenta's performance is very much a kind of a Bride of Frankenstein slash Bride of Dracula type. Ah, ah, ah. Yeah. The entire uh, movie uh, draws from Hammer Horror mm, as mm. aesthetically. Yeah, it, it's supposed to it's supposed to look like a Hammer horror film. I I think the uh, castle was actually used in uh, was actually used in several of the Hammer horror movies. I Correct. can't remember which ones. It absolutely right, was. Yeah, yeah. Um, they they picked that particular location on purpose. Um, it's uh, it's a hotel now. <laughs> oh right, did, did they make it the um, the Rocky Horror Hotel? Because they should have, but apparently no. It's like a straight up like luxury hotel. Oh, okay. What a waste. Yeah, where castle? There castle. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Um, anyway, so uh, the the other um, uh, girl is uh, Columbia, and like this is the first time I've really like paid attention to the uh, the characters. But Columbia reminded me of someone. Does she remind you of someone? Another a fictional character, quite a popular one, especially this year. Harley Quinn. Bingo. Yep. It's the fact that, um, A, Tim Curry was going to be playing Joker in Batman the Animated Series, but B, the fact that Columbia originally was um, his gal, and then he rejected her from the sounds of it for Eddie? Yeah. Yes. And then he rejected Eddie for Rocky, but um, she, uh, she also had a soft spot for Eddie. But then... Uh, he rejected Rocky for Janet, and that she's you know she's basically like sort of beginning to wise up to the fact that he's no good for her, and that she's been besotted him uh, with him for for too long and wasted her time with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but unfortunately, rather than developing that as a characteristic of I'm out of here, I'm looking out for Columbia from now on. She just gets murdered by Riff Raff at the end. I, I think one of the yeah. things about Columbia though, which I've I again never really picked up much before, she's probably the nicest person involved in all of this Mm -hmm. um she's actually um you know she obviously has this um well it it was requited once upon a time but she still um has feelings for frank which she you know he's no longer interested in a relationship with her or at least it seems that way Uh, but she does seem to kind of um offer sympathy and and comfort to frank's cast-offs to some degree Mm. Originally, she and Magenta were supposed to be one character. Yeah. And uh, Richard O'Brien split them because Marianne Faithful was going to play her, and then she went to India instead. Oh. So then he ended up with these two characters that he had, and it was too far in the production to do anything about it. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. But uh, Little Nell was uh, originally working as a soda jerk in uh, in London, I believe, and um, she she used to tap dance while serving sodas. So uh, she got she got the job on on the basis of that. Um, so yeah, I mean, uh, t- t- you know, tap is isn't like if you work on the stage, being able to do at least one kind of dancing is a major string to your uh, bow, right? Um, yeah, like classical yeah. and tap. I'd say so. Yeah. It speaks if, of a certain amount of physical control. If you're um, studying drama, they hmm. expect you to, like, as in the performance side of drama, they yeah. they generally tend to expect you to learn at least one form of dance as well. I suppose it's to to, for, to to aid in physical expression as well as 
Um, well, that's part of it. Ultimately, if a director is asking you to do certain things with your body, there are skills which dance will teach you. Even mm. if you never really learn to dance, it's the mm. it's the being able to translate what you're being told to do with your body to actually making those moves as simply as possible. So physical expression, then. Yeah. But yeah. Um, being able to do that simply. Okay. Indeed. Yeah, you, you get more in touch with what your body can do. It's why uh, famously one coach for the Bears made his uh, team learn ballet mm. because it put them more in touch with what their body was capable of. And I, I, I fence and I also did ballroom dancing for a while and the ballroom dancing has helped me fence because I know what I, how I can move and how I can't move. Question for Ian. Let's take a quick break um, uh, in the middle of all this adulation. Um, this is your first time watching it. Pull, pull no punches, because there are going to be people listening who are just, I, I assume, if they've listened this far and hate Rocky Horror, I'm kind of amazed. But if they like, there's certain aspects of it that they don't like, it may be a good idea to have them illuminated. If you didn't particularly love it, or I don't know, maybe you did like it. I do know I'm you didn't actu- love it. <laughs> I'm not sure how I feel about it. All right. After the first watch, and that sounds very strange. It's like musically, I really enjoyed it. As a whole experience, I'm still not sure how I feel about it, mm-hmm. and I want to watch it again. And I, it's like I'm not sure whether I want to watch it again here or try and experience a live show to see if that ex- how that changes my experience of it. Huh. And I, I can't tell you, like I tried to. Megan and I had the discussion after I watched it. And even that other discussion, like, I'm not sure what it is about it that I'm not sure I like or dislike about it. I can't put my finger on... I think it was kind of disorienting for you. Yeah. You weren't... In- I-, I had to stop and explain what was going on a few times to Ian to make sure that he was understanding what was going on. I th- and I think part of it is not, like, uh, as we talked about before, a lot of the early references in science feature... as uh, science fiction double feature are not material that I'm familiar with, so a lot of the references will go over my head and that probably is not helping. The big thing for me was the soundtrack, which I did very, I really, really enjoyed and I thought that was fantastic and that probably is one of the like reasons I am like leaning towards enjoying the movie more than like, oh god this was absolutely terrible. Mm -hmm. So I think the, the soundtrack even as far, I mean it's 41 years old now, like, is still fantastic and probably one of the strengths of it. So I think that's, like, the big strength for it if you enjoy, you know, musicals and soundtracks. Mm-hmm. It is extremely singable, which is a, a really important thing for, for musical films because if it's full of tracks that you, you're really not that interested in replicating then it kind of it it doesn't hit that beat that that musicals are supposed to do which is the participation side of things it's that's the strength if it can draw you in and get you involved and make you want to be a part of it then it's it's kind of done its job as a a musical who could forget from les miserables go and draw some water from the well right go and draw some water from the well les mis is exactly what i was thinking of as the one that books this trend but honestly i consider les mis to be more of an opera than a musical Uh uh-huh that's fair was there anything that just you can really put a finger on that just bugged the living shit out of you about it no, I, but like I can't. That, that's what's so weird about this. Like, there's nothing in here that I'm like, okay, no, I didn't really like this. And there's nothing other than the music that I'm like, oh my god, I really love this. So that's why it's kind of very weird middle ground for me right now. Okay. 
it's kind of a weird place to be with the movie. Right, if, if we hit upon something that you're like, yes, actually, no, I didn't like that, then tell us because uh, I it, definitely we, we will. I think Ian had a hard time connecting with like the end of it. Like it, the ending it, did feel very strange. Once we got to the floor show, Ian was like, "I have no idea what's happening. <laughs> Why are they even doing this?" But I, think, I don't. Yeah, get it. but I mean, and, the other problem is now you and I have had that discussion, and it, like it all makes sense. Okay, as much as anything uh, in this movie makes sense, like a lot more of it has made sense with the connections that you've made. Okay. Uh, Neil. I was going to say, I've only experienced one other thing that even comes close to the Rocky Horror Picture Show. I've obviously seen it live and Mm -hmm. stuff, but, and that is, and I'm going to bring up one of my personal heroes now, and that was going to see Alice Cooper. Hey! I got to see Alice Cooper live in Nottingham, and the stage show is as nonsensical in aspects of like you know they're not actually telling a story with the stage show but it's that theatrics and that over the topness that mm-hmm. that comes uh, and gets you and you know we're talking about a stage show where i watched charles cooper get his head cut off it was brilliant <laughs> it's amazing <laughs> oh I'm, I'm telling you now if you have a chance to see maybe not alice now because he's a little bit on the old side and hasn't quite got the energy he used to but mm-hmm. if you can find any of the sort of like the brutal planet or the hey stupid stuff the the, the like 90s 80s stuff where it is pure bombast totally over the top i mean in one of the 80s ones there's a his guitarist basically looks like and dresses like rambo it gets better on the end of his guitar shoots fireworks so he's kind of like that guy in uh, Fury Road, then. Yes. But yes, it, but actually, also yes, that's Rambo. a comparison. <laughs> yes. But no, I mean, look at him, and he is built like Rambo. He and he's got the head bandana. But that's what I mean. That the, the the whole it's turned up to eleven to steal something else. Gotcha. You know, Rocky Horror is, has the bombast and and the colourful nature. And yes, sometimes the, the the stitching together doesn't quite work. But that's the only thing I can think I can. Anything I can agree to do is a live Alice Cooper stage show. Okay. Or maybe Kiss if you've seen Kiss, because they, they also have quite oh, a yeah. 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 It's the eyeliner. That's the common <laughs> factor. Yeah. Well, all three of them have kind of uh, in common with magic shows as well. Like, they're, they're going to show you something, it's going to kind of blow your mind, and uh, a lot of it is illusion. But you kind of you're supposed to go along with it because if you if you're the one who's in the in the audience going no nope, not buying any of this you're not going to get anything out of it. Well, it's also it's hard to talk about Rocky and all of these things without talking about glam rock. Yeah, yep. because mm. 1973 was when uh, Bowie kind of hung up Ziggy Stardust and Aladdin, saying he couldn't keep up with it anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And glam rock, very much as a concept, is embracing the artificial. And that's what is being asked of the characters and what's being asked of the audience is to embrace this over-the-top artificiality, this thing that is not real, but we can wish is real just for a little while. And, you know, that, that plus it's also you see sort of glam sweeping away the 50s, both in terms of Brad and Janet's sort of straight-laced and also Eddie's... Yes, he's a rebel, but he's a 1950s rebel. He's not a 1960s or 70s rebel. Hmm. He's the old version. Yeah, exactly. He's a greaser. He's the old version. We are getting rid of him for this new over-the-top expression that is androgynous and covered in makeup and 
pure id, essentially. But it's such a carefully constructed thing, and eventually it all falls apart. Yeah, I think there seems to be an element of, of with that, sort of, the whole glam rock sensibility of trying to find an acceptance for um, who you really are, mm. but taking it from the perspective of, well, if... I kind of push the envelope just a little bit and put who I really am out there and that gets rejected, that's going to be immensely hurtful. So what I'm going to do instead is construct this persona that's really way over the top, incredibly bright and colourful, massively attention demanding. Um, and if you'll accept that, then you, you'll accept the real me because the real me isn't anywhere near that extreme. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. In fact, uh, the makeup for Rocky for Rocky Horror was designed by Pierre Laroche, who designed St- Ziggy Stardust and Aladdin Sane's makeup. The famous, you know, lightning bolt thing. That was Pierre Laroche. That was uh, Bowie's personal makeup artist. Hmm. Okay. So, uh, speaking of, uh, Doctor Frank makes his entrance here now. Um, just saying his name, I got like waves of adulation coming oh, at yeah. me. So. Um, d- do you want to make some inroads to explaining the intoxicating appeal of Dr. Frank? Because, I mean, this is, the, this is the highlight, especially for Maureen, uh, you know, because everyone's slavering to find to hear us talk about Tim Curry as Dr. Frank, the one that everyone, like, the, 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 the whole show effectively revolves around. I, th- I think what struck me initially when they're, they're talking and they're standing just near the elevator and he's got his his high-heeled foot tapping is when he turns around and his lips are just the most beautifully glossy, deep red. <laughs> and I think that's what always strikes me whenever I watch the movie is, is that initial shock of his, his face. It's just beautiful. He, he's the thing that I think, he seems so sincere about everything. I mean, he is clearly buying into this, and he makes you want to buy into it, too. I mean, I, I can't look at him without wanting to follow him. I understand. I empathize, actually, a lot with Columbia, because if this, char- if this person showed up, it would be hard for me to say no, because he is so charismatic and so sincere. He literally is the cult of personality in this film. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <sighs> you do I see you've met my faithful hand in hand he's just a little broad dime because when you knocked he thought you were the candy man don't get strung up by the way I look don't judge a book by its cover I'm not much of a man by the light of day, but by night I'm one hell of a lover. I'm just a sweet transvestite from transsexual Transylvania. <laughs> Let me show you a rhyme, maybe play you a sign. You look like you're both pretty grooving. Want something visual that's not too abysmal. We could take in an old Steve Reeves movie 
I'm glad we caught you at home. Could we use your phone? We're both in a bit of a hurry. Right. We'll just say where we are, then go back to the car. We don't want to be any worry. Well, you got caught with a flat world. How about that? Well, babies, don't you panic. By the light of the night, it'll all seem all right. I'll get you a satanic mechanic. I'm just a sweet transvestite from transsexual Transylvania. <laughs> Why don't you stay for the night? Right. Or maybe a bite. Right. I could show you my favorite obsession. I've been making a man. With blonde hair and a tan And he's good for relieving my Tension I'm just a sweet transvestite From transsexual Transylvania <laughs> hey, hey, I'm just a sweet transvestite From transsexual Transylvania So, come up to the lab and see what's on the slab. I see you shiver with anticipation. But maybe the rain is really to blame. So I'll remove the cause. <laughs> but not the symptom. I think part part of what really sells Frank is um, it's not just how he enters and he explodes onto the screen. And my God, does Tim Curry pull this off with a plum? Um, in fact. He does it twice in close succession in terms of our podcasts because I kept looking at him and thinking, his makeup job is not dissimilar to Pennywise the Dancing Clown. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But but it's uh, as well as sort of having this, this, the screen is mine and the stage is mine and everybody in here better be looking at me and he does it with the confidence of somebody who knows perfectly well that they are. Um, it's how he interacts with all the individual characters as well. He's... If you look at how Frank behaves overall, he is childish and selfish, and he is... He throws temper tantrums when he doesn't get his own way, and um, he has extremes of emotion that are inappropriate to the circumstances that he is presented with. And lead to at least one hot-blooded murder. Absolutely. But if you look at how he interacts with each individual person, 
they're the ones who are selling it because they each fall in love with him. Every well, love is possibly not the word, but fall they in are, lust. They at least. are charmed. They're basking in his light. Him. Absolutely, um, and I, I think we'll probably talk a little bit about this later. But there is a, a song that Brad has that was actually cut from the movie, um, and it's I can completely see why it. The tone of it does not fit with what's happening around it, mm-hmm. but it's such a shame because it's a massive emotional beat for that character um, and it, it again sells the fact that um, that he's been that Brad who is about the straightest person in the film to begin with even he gets drawn in by this um, this over the top lifestyle once in a
it's intoxicating, is what it is. It really is just so intoxicating to be around Frank that, yeah, even even Brad, who, I think that was a great description, the straightest person in the film, can't help himself. And really, this is a, a lot of, a very much a story about not being able to help yourself. Mm, yeah. And, and it, not trying. Mm-hmm. And why should you in this particular scenario? I don't know what they're pumping into the water or piping through the air, but everybody seems to be completely, um, you know, inhibitions, chuck them out the door with the shoes. Um, and Maybe just um, being around Frank. Yeah. His pheromones mm-hmm. are taking everybody down yeah. at a time. <laughs> It's but a Transylvania it's, you know, thing. It, it, and I think this is possibly why you get this, uh, the, the criminologists going on about, you know, they're normal, they are average kids, they, uh, you know, they were just out for a night out and, and um, nothing unusual was supposed to happen to them. That's the thing. Nothing unusual was supposed to happen to them. They were supposed to have a standard apple pie life. Nothing weird was ever supposed to, to interrupt that or cause any real reassessment of that to have to happen Um, and then to meet somebody who sees the world through a completely different lens to the way they have previously um, it just kind of it shakes them up and, and says you know there are other things to consider there are other ways in which you can look at your relationship to each other your relationship to other people and there is something really really appealing about that idea if you've if you've grown up um, and the world around you is at best boring um, then extremes of emotion can seem very um compelling intoxicating (laughs) compelling yes thank you now good word it's definitely a film of its time because Frank sort of, as we talk about the glamour stuff, it, he encapsulates sort of the sexual reorientation that was going on at the time when things were changing from that quite straight-laced man-woman kind of thing and people were embracing a whole heap of other stuff and probably quite a whole heap of drugs too. But, mm-hmm. you know, you, you had guys like... Uh, David Bowie doing the Ziggy Stardust line, the same thing. You had guys like Alice Cooper doing his thing, Kiss and all that, and a lot of other things that I probably just can't bring to mind off the top of my head. But, you know, it was a sign that the times were changing, and it was almost like, it was literally almost you have Brad and Janet represent the culture as it was, as we've said, uh, running into this new new thing that is completely weird and out there and intoxicating, and you just can't take your eyes off it. And Tim Curry just pulls that off with... I don't even think he's putting much effort into it. He just turns up and just oozes everything he needs to with such ease and charm. I just oozed everything I needed to. (laughs) Phrasing. Um, (laughs) One thing that's worth bringing up, I've I've, I've talked to a couple of people in the trans community about uh, this scenario, and it was a very difficult conversation to even initiate because uh, I had to say, okay, so Rocky Horror Picture Show... Um, that I'm not just what I wanted to make clear was I'm not just going to assume that this is an incredibly meaningful film to you or that this film is incredibly offensive to you or that it really means something either way but is there anything about it that, that's worth highlighting and, and one of the overriding um, responses is, is basically um, transvestite and transsexual are not the same thing 
and um, the, the the movie kind of just sort of lumps everything together in this kind of outrageous way. And uh, you know, in a modern context, that's quite misleading. Mm. This this can't be your only education into the trans community, basically. Oh, God, no. Well, it's no. way it's way too old, well, if I nothing else. Not. Yeah. But um, but no, I mean, I think I I would say that that one thing that is pretty clear is that um, Frank is not trans. He doesn't present as a woman or... Um, I mean, his sexuality is very fluid, but his his gender is, at least in the way he's labelled by other people, and he seems quite comfortable with that. He is referred to as he. Um, he's referred to as the master. You know, they, they use masculine pronouns for him. Um, I, I don't think there's any question like that. It, it's It's... His presentation is to do with what he clothes himself in. So, as Eddie Izzard said, an action transvestite. <laughs> well, I was going to be in the army when I was a kid, yes. And I say that, and people go, oh, no, I was. I was going to be in the army when I was a kid. Because if you're transvestite, you're actually a male tomboy. That's where the sexuality is. <laughs> yeah, it's not, it's not drag queen. No, gay men have got that covered. And... Uh, this is male tomboy, and people do get them mixed up. And they put transvestite up there. No, 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 no. A little bit of a crowbar separation, thank you. <laughs> and gay men, I think, would agree. And uh, it, it's male lesbian. That's really where it is, isn't it? <laughs> because it's true, because most transvestites fancy girls, so fancy women, so that's where it is. So running, jumping, climbing trees, putting on makeup when you're up there. That's where it is. <laughs> <laughs> Running up, climbing trees, putting on makeup while you're up there. <laughs> Absolutely, um, but um, but yeah, I mean, in terms of his his sexuality, it seems to be pretty much. I mean, I don't even know if you can really call him bisexual. He's pretty much just pansexual. Pansexual. Yeah. Well, even yeah. pan implies. Um, a, a sort of, I was going to say anything there, but that sounds terribly insulting, and that's not quite what I mean. Um, but in Frank's case, it is anything and everything, and ideally everybody, <laughs> all at once. Yeah, the, the, the broadest spectrum you can yeah, really, yeah. indeed. And and I would say that if you if you look at the um, kind of the, the five characters who end up in the floor show at the end, um, they they kind of represent a. Uh, a sexuality spectrum, if you like, with Brad at one end, Janet at the other, um, and Frank shagged all of them. And then, yeah, Frank <laughs> is is kind of the fulcrum point in the middle, and yeah. then you know Rocky on one side and Columbia on the other. Yeah, and poor Doctor Scott just in the back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> his legs start working again, sort of. Yes, kind of. they do, but he doesn't get to play. Mm. No. Well, it's difficult to really even put a finger on Dr. Scott because in the original stage show, he was played by Meatloaf. Um, the idea being that when he uh, sang the, the song about Eddie, he was played by the same guy as Eddie, so that when um, Frank reveals, oh, Dr. Von Scott, it's a surprise, as opposed to, you know, he's been speaking in German the whole time, and then Brad's like, what are you implying? That he's German? That he's a Nazi! Sorry, I thought... Fell into the call and response again. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's yeah. one. That's one of the d- depending on where you are. Yeah, that's one of them. Um, the, the one that p- people yell out. From the day he was born, he was troubled.
But he never caused her nothing but shame. He left on the day she died. A sidebar on those um, prompting screenings, by the way. Just it. You can access a soundtrack of it on the uh, 25-year anniversary disc, and mm-hmm. it's quite alarming hearing everybody barking along behind the film in perfect unison. It's, mm-hmm. it's the chance... I mean, you know, the whole thing about it being a cult movie. It's a cult. It's actually <laughs> a cult. Yeah. So they're all chanting. <laughs> you are all individuals. Yes, we are all individuals. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> Nice. But yeah, like they're all shouting the same thing in unison. They're all like heckling in unison. It's it's uh, it's 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 something it's else, yeah. and uh, yeah. scarily regimented. Yeah, a good shadow cast is like that. A bad a bad shadow cast. It's just basically a bunch of people talking over the movie. Ah. So that's that's really what it boils down. You can tell you can tell the really good ones by the ones who know kind of what's going on and they help prompt the new people. Hmm. But yeah. Some of them, I've been to a couple of them where kind of nobody knows, everybody's from everybody, every place, and nobody kind of knows what to do. So it just sounds like people talking over a movie, and yeah. that's not as much fun. It feels like the prompting was sort of cobbled together after 10 years of making notes during screenings and going, somebody yelled out that thing, and it was really funny, brought the house down, we'll make, we'll put that in the script. Make that official. Uh, I did wonder, yeah. though, if it becomes like a sort of a, a gate test thing. You're allowed into a screening, and if you shout the wrong thing out at the wrong time, everybody turns and glares at you, and then they don't let you back in. So, come up to the lab and see what's on the slab. Cheese! Entire audience turns and glares at one person. <laughs> there will be no improving in here, young sir. <laughs> no, I, I would, I would say that would probably get a laugh with some of the crowds I've been. With, oh, that's right? nice. Yeah, and then yeah. somebody goes, "Bring well, that in helps, next time." So. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, but actually, <laughs> listening to the uh, soundtrack, I was like, "Hang on, is this?" I, I, di- I didn't realize to begin with that it was actually prompted. I was thinking. Is everyone like sitting there in the dark with their own scripts and little pen torches, like n- like working out exactly what to say, or do you have to know this off by heart before you go in? Like some you... people know it, some people get prompted. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, oh, uh, speaking of, uh, when I uh, mentioned this first to uh, Megan, I had to keep this very secret because I couldn't like I couldn't tweet about it because Maureen, hello Maureen, uh, would immediately. <laughs> Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Would, of course, twig and find out. And I want this to be a huge surprise. Um, but uh, I, I mentioned to, to Megan that, uh, you know, we'll be doing recording this sometime soon. I see you shiver with anticipation. And I drove you nuts. I took several hours to say <laughs> <Yeah>. patient. <laughs> and you kept, like, trying to initiate conversation with me. And you said, patient, patient. And it didn't work. And, <laughs> however... <laughs> Did you not hear about the Twitter feed that was created? Bingo. And yeah. it literally says that, I shiver with anticipation. Five, Five years. years of anticipation <laughs> from 2009 to 2015. It only had the tweets. So come up to the lab, new tweet, and see what's on the slab. New tweet, I see you shiver with anticipation. Five years elapse. Patient. 
So, I mean, that has to be the longest. I'm assuming this stemmed from the idea that, like, on the stage show, because obviously it's, it's all the same, same in every movie, but for the stage show, there had to have been Dr. Franks who were like, right, let's milk oh, this one. And, like, oh, I, with anticipation, uh, oh, yeah. and then hold off, and then go down to the front of the uh, stage, go to the bar, order themselves a drink, come back, drink the drink very slowly and deliberately on stage, go, ah, patient. <laughs> Literally, the only other time I've seen something similar done, are you, we, we mentioned Monty Python. You're familiar with the Dead Parrot sketch, right? Yes. Yes. The amount of varieties there is that for the stage shows that they did, mm-hmm. they mess with you mm-hmm. and each other. It's the only time, the only other thing I can think of that's that sort of because everybody knows it and knows what's coming. They deliberately mess with you. Yeah. <laughs> and the best one I ever saw, I, I know of with to the parrot sketches they start the sketch john cleese goes and you think he's about to launch into everything goes oh i'm sorry about that I guess <laughs> <laughs> we want a parrot sketch we want a refund that's going to prompt the entire audience to write yeah but the best bit is he didn't tell michael palin he was going to do it so you just see the look of uh uh, uh, uh okay <laughs> i guess that's done then next sketch albatross a weakling weighing 98 pounds will get sand in his face when kicked to the ground and soon in the gym with a determined chin the sweat from his pores as he works for his cause will make him glisten and gleam and with massage and just a little bit of steam. <laughs> He'll be pink and quite clean. He'll be a Nutritious, high protein, and swallow raw eggs. Try to build up his shoulders, his chest, arms, and legs. Such an effort, if he only knew of my plan. In just seven days, I can make you a This is just something I noticed because I was watching the, the patterns emerge and I've been playing a lot of these games recently with the re-release. But um, Dr. Frank is fleeing civilization to live in his own special place uh, and indulge in unregulated science and twisted art and debauchery. This is rapture. This is Andrew Ryan retreating under the sea and then just doing whatever the hell and then the whole thing comes crashing down at the end. Yeah, yeah, actually, that, that's a good way of putting it. I like that. Yeah. It wouldn't be out of place in Fallout either, really. People yeah. call me something of a splicer. So, yeah, speaking <laughs> of which, uh, the, the the next song is I Can Make You a Man, which is um, uh, when... Oh, no, actually, no, it's a Sword of Damocles. We we skip Hot we, we, Oh, no, no, uh, it's, it's Sword of Damocles, and then I Can Make You a Man, which then has Hot Patootie in it, and then it reprises I Can Make You a Man. Um, so, Sword of Damocles... Uh, is uh, is Rocky's little song on his own. 
Like I was like putting a question mark here because I was like, it's really creeping me out because there's certain times when Rocky seems like a child, like a, mm. a like an innocent child. And I said to Sharon, like, just flip this around, make um, Doctor Frank like a, a a guy who's just made himself a, a woman who acts like Rocky and basically takes her backstage to his bedroom, and you're like, like, imagine your skin not crawling off your body if you were watching that. H- how, for some reason, is this absolutely fine? And it's just a, it's a rhetorical question. I don't expect this to be justified, but I just, just thinking about it too deeply, um, which is probably inadvisable for this film. There's also the fact that Rocky is not a person. He's not human. I mean, he's a person, but he's not human. He's, at, when we're first introduced to him, the way that Frank sees him is essentially as a sex toy. He doesn't even have a belly button. <laughs> he sort of does. He does. They plugged him. The, the makeup department plugged his belly button and covered it over so that he was just abs. Oh, nice. Yeah. So like he's, he's, a clone. He had no umbilical cord. Yeah. So why would he have a belly button? That makes sense. Like a clone then. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can get into the ethics of uh, sex cloning, I suppose, which is well, which is complicated and probably outside of the remit of this show yes uh but um ultimately at least frank is seeing him essentially as a not as a person as a thing but i guess frank does that with everybody now they think about it yeah that is frank's Mm. mo you're not people you're things you're playthings for my pleasure i was gonna say very specifically you are my things yes he's very self-absorbed i think it probably went as far in richard o'brien's head as well what if frankenstein created a beautiful uh monster and shagged it <laughs> well, it does. That's about it, basically. As, as the story progresses, that I mean, great. It, part of the point is that Rocky ultimately um, uh, rejects Frank. Well, no, he accepts him to start with. Then he runs away from him. Then he runs away. Then he comes back to him. Then he runs away and is drawn to Janet. Um, and well, he runs away because Riff Raff tries to burn him with candles. Well, yes, he, there is that. And then he runs um, from the dogs. And then ultimately he he does come back to Frank in the end. So I, I think that there's kind of enough back and forward in, in Rocky's behaviour to kind of at least give the illusion of choice. Yeah. yeah he does he, sort of he does sleep with Janet when she basically treats him like a person. Yeah, well, that, I mean, that struck me about the, the way they respond to each other. They are both kind of the most naive people around here. It sort of makes sense that at least on some level they would be drawn together. Mm. It also, Rocky seems to enjoy boning. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah, like sex. It, it does. Yeah. It comes back in the floor show, like his section of the floor show song. Mm. Now, the only thing I've come to trust is the orgasmic rush of lust. <laughs> So that's that's just who he who he has been for his seven hours worth of life. Mm. He's just a sex toy. Well, he's got a lot done in that seven hours. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
Uh, so uh, there's the, I can make you a man, and then uh, Eddie sort of get, literally gate crashes the uh, the party. And I, I do like what you uh, said about the the idea of he's the old school style of rock and roll, and gets uh, um, murdered to make way for the new form of rock and roll. Yeah. Uh, and we stole the bits we thought would be useful. Yeah. <laughs> That's actually quite a good analogy for yeah. this part. Yeah. what an updated version would be like actually it's worth mentioning actually, find out. the 2016 updated version will probably be out in the next few days as we uh, release this um, we have I have no idea what it's going to be like it's uh, released on TV directed by Kenny Ortega of High School Musical and Michael Jackson's This Is It and Laverne <sighs> Cox from uh, Orange is Orange the New is Black, Black is playing Dr. Frank which is pretty awesome I think the idea of actually uh-huh. progressing it forwards and having an actual trans actress playing Dr. Frank is, is pretty bloody awesome actually <laughs> this is I the agree. weirdest criticism I have of it mm-hmm. they're all too pretty Oh, right. Let me, let's just have a look at the picture of her. I, I was, I've That's seen the picture. A, what did she I, say? Her name was LeVar? Laverne, Laverne, Laverne Cox. Laverne Cox. Oh, she's Absolutely amazing. gorgeous. Yeah. She's not just any old trans actress. She is actually a really talented actress in Orange is the New Black and but, but you, also kind of hot. From the yeah. tra- Even Riff Raff looks too pretty. Riff Raff isn't meant to look pretty. He's meant to be... Richard O'Brien! Creepy yeah, as yeah, all yeah, hell. Richard O'Brien is not an attractive man. I'm sorry. I am sorry, Richard. You are immensely talented and wonderful, and we love you. But yeah, you are Riff Raff. You are either Riff Raff or you're the guy that hosts the Crystal Mice. Listen, listen, you've got seven crystals, five of which were run one by you girls, only two by the boys. Which gives light of any, any ideas of genetic male superiority, doesn't it? I think so. Meryl Street playing mumsy. Either is awesome, so you or win. that uh, weird druid guy from uh, Robin of Sherwood. <laughs> oh, <God>. <laughs> <laughs> Owen of Clun's uh, sidekick, which, by the way, is the most Welsh name I can think of off the top of my head. Oh, and it's notable that the uh, narrator Charles Gray's role is Tim Curry. Curry. They so have that's to be. that's pretty <sighs> awesome. That, that makes me happy, but also sad because. If you've seen pictures of Tim recently, he's not been very well. It's kind of sad. No, his strokes have not been good to him. You keep away, 2016, you motherfucker. (laughs) (laughs) Don't get any ideas, 2017 either. Yeah. Yeah. Just form a protective barrier around Tim Curry and nobody touches him. Don't be upset. It was a mercy killing. He had a certain naive charm, but no muscle. Roger, Deltoid, Ender, Buzz, 
tricep makes me shake, makes me wanna take Charles Atlas by the That's Eddie killed with a, uh, and I'd say I, I've got to compliment uh, Meatloaf's um, like super kind of retro fifties uh, uh, um, song. It 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 fits mm-hmm. in that era that he's supposed to be from, and he you know really throws himself into it in the way that Meatloaf tends to do. It's actually nice. It's good to see because it's reminded that that dude can sing, mm. that, and oh, that dude, he, he, pulls, he pulls off the song and he pulls off the look as well. Hmm. Yeah, Meatloaf had one of the best natural voices for a rock singer, I think, ever. Hmm. And it's a shame that he never learned how to really sing, how to control his voice, because he's destroyed his voice now in his older age. He, it's 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 sad, and I hate kind of seeing him in interviews because I'm like, just listening to him, like you had so much potential and you used it so well, and you just, if you had just taken a moment to learn how to place your voice correctly. Yeah, it, it, it's a shame. So did he basically just thrash his vocal cords for, for years and then bl- burn Pretty himself much. out? Oh, that's yep. sad. <clears throat> Whatever Happened to Saturday Night is probably one of my favorite songs. It's on my it's on my workout playlist because it is really just uplifting. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> I approve of any rock song that involves a saxophone. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so uh, after that, um, there's, uh, this is where the mo- middle of the movie gets all higgledy-piggledy, um, because there's, uh, it, it cuts to sort of Janet in bed, and then um, Brad creeps up on her and, and starts canoodling, and then turns out to be Dr. Frank halfway through. And then she's like, oh, you beast, oh, oh, but I want it really. Then the same thing happens with Brad... Uh, in a much more compromising scene, like you know, they, we're we're kind of used to. I mean, the whole point of the juxtaposition of those scenes is that we're like in a, in especially in older movies, we're kind of used to no, get away from me, you beast, and oh, actually, really, I do quite like you. Brad's Brad actually literally doing exactly the same thing is is kind of a a fun subversion of that, um, and ties in with the whole idea of actually um, uncovering and bringing out who you are. One of the loose themes of the movie um mm-hmm. it is a bit rapey <laughs> a bit it is flat out rapey <laughs> it's uh basically frank's not taking no for an answer and um it, it never turns nasty but uh it's it's kind of lucky that you like this like all oh, this all <laughs> oh, uh, this I mean, especially that aspect—the idea of actually bringing was- shame into it. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, you—you you probably better do it because otherwise. Uh, and yeah, that's uh, that's that's troubling. Into I was—I'm trying to steer clear of the really, you know, troublesome stuff because I don't think it was ever really intended mm-hmm. for this movie. It was all no. just like a great big bedroom farce. I, I yes. do think it's not all bad. It's not even half bad. <laughs> oh yes no no without wanting yeah. to um to kind of make it sound like well no it's okay because or anything like to that because ultimately them, yeah. yeah ultimately it's it's up to the you know the individual uh viewer to to decide how they want to interpret that and whether they're okay with it or not um but i think very specifically um the way those scenes are done even though the dialogue kind of contradicts this a little bit, nothing really happens until both Brad and Janet 
get enthusiastically into it and and um kind of exhibit it it's not just a case of lying back and going oh okay then just get on with it it's mm. they they're kind of um right okay well then i'm going to embrace whatever this is bringing up in me embarrassment enters into it but fear it does not yeah 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 Sharon, uh, or anyone else, do you want to talk about Once in a While, Brad's excised song? And that's all the time that it Because obviously, basically, he, he straight up has all kinds of sex with Frank. And although that's, um, like, clearly for Janet, that's the first time she's ever had sex, which should be a huge, huge deal for her. It's a, it's a massive game-changer for Brad. So what's Once in a While about? I've actually never heard it. I'm looking up the lyrics right now. Ah, okay. Sharon, can you uh, describe it? One, one thing I did notice about the where the camera was positioned is that um, Frank stays in Brad's room and goes to sleep mm. um, after their canoodling. Um, and Brad basically has this, uh, this little... It's it's almost an I want song, um, sitting on the end of the bed, and um, the the tone of the song I can't remember the lyrics exactly, so correct me if I stray on this one. Um, but the tone is essentially um, that having done something that uh, he he never would have envisioned himself doing. Um, and opened up a side of himself that he he did not even imagine was there. He's basically uh, toying with the idea that Janet's not going to want to have anything to do with him anymore. It's a, it's a very introspective song. It's uh, uh, you know he's singing about um, it just takes a short amount of time for a relationship to suddenly turn itself around suddenly after new information is about oneself is brought to light and something which you thought you put, placed enormous stock in is now suddenly gone. It's like an Ibsen play. Mm. And it doesn't fit with the rest of the movie at all. No. It's so introspective and so serious and so grown up that um, the, the rest it doesn't fit with the wildness of the rest of the show. Yeah, although the, the conclusion, um, if you look at the last verse, um, you know, that's all the time it takes for a heart to beat again. So give me a sign that a lover makes. You look around, the one you found is back again. What he essentially seems to be saying is, yes, this new information has come to light. Yes, I've experienced something that I never... Um, would have even thought about before but I'm still me I can incorporate I can try at least to incorporate that into who I am that's a very um, well adjusted yeah Yeah. mature and and I was going to say unusual but I would imagine that in real life there's probably a lot of people that come to that conclusion about themselves. Mm. It's just not one that gets portrayed in media a whole lot. Yeah, no. Um, Brad is, is much more likely, from what we know about him, to, to sort of like, let us never think of or speak of this again until um, they're forced to confront it. Yeah, <laughs> and end up in couples therapy in 15 years' time. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, um, but the fact that it then goes from that song, it skews into um, Janet seeing them on the... the camera obviously she can't she can't hear him can she she can only see them um she is gets all messed up about this um she's obviously feeling very ashamed of what she's done very um upset about what brad's done and she goes off and finds herself in rocky's arms and i think the fact that you have that slalom from uh the the 
the man being in the position of the emotional introspection and then the woman being in the position of the extremely lustful response and and very physical um, experience. I I really liked the way those two um, play off each other. But again, as we said before, it doesn't fit with it. Or rather, not it doesn't fit. It changes the tone of the film quite dramatically. Moving on from that song to Janet's song, uh, Sharon, you're... Is is Teta... What's it called? Is that, is that your favourite song? And it's if so, close. why? <laughs> it's close. Um, I used to love this one when I was younger. Um, mm. It's it's just, I love the, um, the... The only way I can sum it up is the freedom of it. There is a, a complete disinhibition about it, which I think is can be to a woman who or a, or a girl who has a very straight-laced view of what... Um, sex is and particularly should be within a relationship um, is very liberating um, perspective to have obviously not you know your mileage may vary but um, but it certainly comes across that way to me um, I also love the way it's it's filmed I think the way um, uh, Janet and Rocky come together is it's very cliched Sorry. As in meat. <laughs> um, it, it is very cliché. I'm you sure know, they got did. That, that, um, that Florence Nightingale thing going on, but it's very sweet. Ah, um, but you know, you particularly I, love the I whole... Do, you're I a do. sucker for the whole wounded God soldier thing. God help me, thing. I do. Oh. <laughs> um, so, um, so, yeah, I really like this song. The other thing I really, really like as well, and it, it just hit me this time, the fact that the, the way the, the rainbow stripes um, are in Rocky's tank... You see the the camera pans down. Um, Janet's face kind of is superimposed with the uh, the various different colours of the LGBT flag. Yeah. Uh, was it? How long's the LGBT flag been going? Because that wasn't intentional. I was about five years old at that point. Okay, right. So, so it, was that deliberate? Like, that probably was. Like There, there were enough people of uh, uh, non-straight... Uh, sexuality on set to go hey you know what that actually the rainbow thing good idea although Janet does not appear to be (laughs) anything other than I don't know she's kissing Columbia later on oh is she oh I missed that yeah oh it's burned into my brain oh in the swimming pool oh yeah of course of course I take it back it's five years too early for that flag oh the original one was 78 okay maybe it maybe it helped (laughs) (laughs) i think the only reason it popped into my head was that obviously the the top of the flag they've got the the purple and indigo and that's it was um uh by visibility day a couple of days ago so everybody had the bisexual flag on their uh, their twitter avatar so Mm -hmm. it was in my head so anyone else on touch me um, the fact it's stuck in my head at the minute. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that's probably the most um, what's up? The most earwormy, I think, of the songs. Yeah, that or Time Warp. It is a straight out fight between those two for being earworms. Although I think Touch Me is winning because it is really stuck in my head now. <laughs> yeah, Keep my as a teenager singing to Touch Me, that always really weirded out my parents. I would imagine so. I thought there's no use getting into heavy pain. 
petting It only leads to trouble and seat wetting Now all I want to know is how to go I've tasted blood and I want more I'll put up no resistance I want to stay the distance I've got an itch to scratch I need assistance Touch, 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 touch me Megan, what was this like for you? Obviously, because uh, you know, as, as a young lady, um, watching it with my mom was really awkward. <laughs> <laughs> Less so now, but but at the time, I was like, oh, um, it was it was already, it's it's always just weird to watch sex scenes with your parents when you're in your teens. I don't know if that ever goes away. I actually, I don't think it ever does. Okay. Okay. Um, but but it was a it was a weird experience for the record watching love actually with my parents every year is always uncomfortable just martin freeman scenes <laughs> martin freeman. Uh, oh yes they're my favorite couple we, yeah we we my family we all love that movie I, i'm a big fan of richard curtis stuff in general but I, i'm watching that with my parents every year it's like hey i think we're gonna go get some ice cream right now you guys want ice cream <laughs> chips it's something just let, let me go to the kitchen because all of Martin Freeman's parts are basically cut from the TV version of the movie, so Ouch. he just shows up at the end. It's like, who are you, and what are, where have you been this entire movie? Well, it's Martin What's Freeman. The point of your story? Why is Bilbo in this suddenly? <laughs> <laughs> what? I mean, honestly, if you're going to cut that, that, that first rule of editing, if you're going to cut the earlier threads, get rid of the later ones. Excise that whole sideline, you know? Cut down that overly lengthy movie. Okay. Although I wouldn't be cutting Martin Freeman at no. all. I don't know what I'd Maybe cut. Not. I don't know. Yeah. I like it. I, I, I do, although I have found that in recent years I, I'm watching the um, Kira Knightley, Andrew Lincoln plot going, dude, you stand no chance. She's got Chiwetel Ejiofor right, right there. there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just give up. Mm. Give up. Okay, so Dr. Scott turns up, does his weird little run around the uh, uh, the house in his uh, wheelchair, um, and then they sing the Eddie City. We've already discussed the meeting Eddie, um, but Eddie's Teddy is my is the song for me. Like I, I love uh, all the other songs, but for some reason Eddie's Teddy is my earworm. It's it's all just down to sort of what a guy makes you cry. Und I did just the one, two, three. Oh, that's that bit. I really do like the um, the prop of the letter. Mm. It's misspelled. Mm. It's just a nice little touch. Yeah, because he, he removes half of Eddie's brain to put into Rocky. I never made that connection, but yeah, that makes oh, no, sense no. now. Does, I just does, thought that Eddie was kind of dumb. Does he say, actually, it, later on, is this something else entirely? Does. Do you think I made a mistake splitting his brain among them? Mm-hmm. No, he did it, say that. Oh, yeah, there you I go. I just never made the connection between the two of them. Also, Eddie has a, really a big gash line. across his forehead and yeah, has yeah. clearly undergone some kind of... Yeah. Meatloaf actually got that gash. Oh Jesus! What was that? That 
That was from all right. So doing the scene with the motorcycle and up and down the ramps was mm-hmm. incredibly dangerous. Uh, the stuntman at one point fell off the top tier, and the motorcycle landed on him. Jesus and then what they God. did to get the shots of Eddie, you know, from the front was they basically created a railing that attached to a wheelchair and put the uh, the motorcycle windshield there in a camera. Mm-hmm. Well, the railing wasn't high enough, so at one point uh, he hit a bump at the end of the ramp. The entire rig goes flying, Meatloaf goes flying, the camera breaks, the windshield breaks, Meatloaf gets that gash, and his stuntman, who, mind you, already had a motorcycle fall on him, goes to try to catch Meatloaf and trips on the ramp and ends up falling on top of all of this. Jesus. And, and then I, they just incorporated it into the makeup, basically. I already know that uh, uh, the stuntmen were not happy when they found out that about the whole King Kong bit at the end, where it's like, you've got to climb up this flimsy cardboard um, t- uh, RKO tower and then fall backwards into this pool. Like, we, like I would not want to be a stuntman on this picture. No. It does, it's not the best, uh, um, uh, most regulated and safe stunt team in the, in the, in the world. But they, they pulled it off, I suppose, with the, the couple of stunts they had to do. Um, with only minimal damage to poor Meatloaf. Um, <laughs> but, you know, Eddie Teddy, as much fun as it is, was written to extend the show. Apparently the, the show, like, there's a, there's a sweet spot for it. It is exactly 90 minutes. Um, the, they, like, the, the, sometimes it would run too long and they'd have to, they, they were like, let's just take something out and that something was Brad's song. And then sometimes it would run too short and so they, uh, Richard O'Brien went away and wrote that song in an evening and then came back and then they performed that. And like I said, so that, that for me is the showstopper. I love Eddie Steady. What a guy. Makes you cry. What I did. I did. <laughs> From the day he was born. He was troubled. He was disowned in his mother's side. She tried in vain, but he never caused her nothing but shame. He left. From the day she died From the day she was gone Oh, he wanted Was rocking old porn On the motorbike Shooting up junk He was a low-down, cheap little punk Taking everyone for a ride Hurry! 
und ID. Hang on, 90 minutes is the sweet spot. Mm-hmm. Someone tell Michael Bay quickly. Yeah, because yeah. Mike- Zack Snyder. Michael Bay's Rocky Horror remake is going to be awesome. No, 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 Christ. Bad Alex, bad Alex. I'm sorry, I'm bad sorry. Bad Alex, no I'm biscuit. Um, so, yeah, let's just... Uh, uh, just blows up Eddie. Ru- yeah, run and jump through that whole <laughs> thing. The, the wise up um, uh, scene, Janet Wise, then cuts to uh, Rose Tint My World, um, which is kind of uh, like this this final burlesque show. Uh, going back for a second, oh, yeah, yeah. when uh, Tim Curry revealed Eddie underneath the table, mm-hmm. the actors didn't know that was going to happen. Oh, Those were their shit. reactions. So it's like an alien wondered, then. Because it is, yeah, a, exactly, it is a really thinking. genuine response from So Paul. Veronica Cartwright ran in from the left and went, Oh, God! Oh, God! Yeah. <laughs> um... <laughs> So Rose Tint My World appears to be characters trying to sort of come to terms with their bewildering new sexuality. Then uh, the the actual when Frank starts singing, it's it, it's it's very much it's going back to that science fiction double feature thing. Like you know the, the 
it's, it's a nostalgic song. You know, that these were my formative years and, and gave me a perspective on the world, which uh, now is harder to deal with in my later life. It's, it's difficult to really interpret much from this song beyond that for me. That's because I wanted to be dressed just the same. Uh, I think Roast in My World, it's, it's um, a, you're really, you're getting kind of the only real genuine moments from Frank. Mm. Um, because I think that, I, I legitimately think that he actually does feel everything that he's doing and all of this kind of confused stylistic stuff that you're getting. Mm. It's this is the moment of honesty for everybody, really. Columbia when they de uh, destatuize, what was it? Demedusaize. Demedusaize, yeah. Yeah, when they demedusaize, the first thing they say is what they're actually feeling. Mm-hmm. So when we get Frank, he's we're getting what he's actually feeling as well. Mm. Uh, and this is just after again going back to the artificiality idea. He admits that it's not easy having a good time. Mm. Even smiling makes my face hurt. Mm. Yeah, it's you know he's he has to struggle to reach these extremes and really he's just trying to do it because he wants to be as grand as these big picture thing they sees on the screen mm. he, he wants to be huge whatever happened to fairy that delicate satin draped frame as it clung to her thigh How I started To cry Cause I wanted to be dressed Just the same The whole don't dream it be it sequence as well It's just five words But it might encapsulate the whole Of Rocky Horror Picture Show That might be the message You know, for all of the bluster and the showboating, it might simply be about seeing and feeling the thing you want to be and not allowing society to hold you back. Also, if you if you look at how it feeds into "I'm Going Home," um, which is my actual favourite song um, on the soundtrack, um, although it's pretty close with "Touch Touch Touch Me," um, but um, one dramatic, one comedy. Yeah, indeed. Um, but the the there is a great deal of um, of uncertainty and um, and pain in Frank. Um, he's he's come here because it, on his home world, he felt rejected. He felt abandoned and deserted, and he wanted to try and find somewhere where he could create his own audience, create his own um, family for you know people that would accept him for who he was, even though who he presents to them is a very turned up to eleven version of who he really is. The problem is that he's then got himself into this trap where he feels like he's got to be that turned up to 11 persona all the time. Yeah. Um, and this is, and, and part of what I find so 
um, heartbreaking about I'm going home is that he, he ran away from that place because he thought they didn't want him. Um, but ultimately, the conclusion that he's come to is that 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 is still home. That is still the place where it is kind of the the least effort to be who he is. Um, and and even that's not perfect. The, basically, there is no place for him in this universe anywhere. And I think they still don't want him. Exactly. And I think that's that's why um, you you then kind of get this. Uh, this ultimate um, end for him is that uh, he he basically has to die. It's so sad that that's ultimately the only place that ends up being um, where he can go. On the day I went away Goodbye. was all I had to say I want to come again and stay Smile and that will mean I'm there been the same Like I'm outside in the rain Free for trying to find a game Cards for sorrow Cards for pain For me, I actually would have kept Frank alive. I just would have uh, made him alone. The idea being that the outcome for his actions of treating everybody badly was that everybody goes away mm. and that he's sad on his own. That, for me, is, would be more heartbreaking than just killing him. It's that, actually, you, when, when you were just saying, that reminded me of something that Hunter S. Thompson said about Dr. Gonzo. There he goes, 
one of God's own prototypes. A high-powered mutant of some kind never even considered for mass production. Too weird to live and too rare to die. He's sort of caught in between. Killing him is almost too clean. It's almost too, well, there's your problem solved and we reject you, which is what Riff Raff eventually does. That ties into one of the core themes of don't treat people badly, with Riff Raff being the, ca- the character that he treated the worst. Um, because um, they might kill you with a pitchfork. Yeah. <laughs> a laser yes. pitchfork. Yeah. One of those. Um, but the... Uh, I'm going... He liked ho- you. He never liked me! <laughs> the I'm going home thing... For me, one of the, the, the major um, uh, themes as well, aside from that, is, is don't repress, because that is going to come out in some way anyway, and it might end up coming out violently and horribly and hurting the people around you. Mm. But I don't think it's necessarily pitching a uh, balanced, this is how best to unrepress that stuff I th- I either. Think, yeah, I think the, the, uh, the message there is not so much don't repress yourself, although obviously there's, there's elements of that too, but don't force other people to have to repress themselves because ultimately you learn to repress when you're way too young to know that's what you're doing Hmm. basically all you can do with repression is is unpick it and 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 try not to continue repressing things that you learn to repress at a very young age um i think the 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 self-acceptance is very prominent but more so, I think, is the the uh, accepting others and accepting the people around you. Although Dr. Scott is probably the least accepting of everybody involved in this shenanigan. Um, and, and he comes out of it with probably the least having changed. Yeah. Well, that's because he is strong and manages to hang on. Well, <laughs> on Even if he gives in to sins of the flesh? Yes. Uh, carry on, guys, because we've yacked and yacked and yacked, and there's, there's plenty for you guys to, uh, to have input on this. But what did you draw from this movie, ultimately? That's, that's a huge and personal thing. For me, um, Rocky Horror is very much about trying to find your place. Um, and one thing, is, as much as it is fun to dabble in those extremes, ultimately it's not something that can last forever. You know, it's great to, quite frankly, go to a Rocky Horror Shadow cast. That is a lot of fun. You get dressed up, you participate in it, you yell things at the screen, you get a little raunchy, you say things that you wouldn't say in any other context, but then it's over, and you go back to your life. And Frank's problem seemed to be that he didn't have another life. He All he had was the extremities, and it ends up killing him ultimately in the end. I can't add to that. That's pretty much summed up quite well. Yeah, that was... <laughs> Well done. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Sound, rock on. 
We're gonna sing it till the lock has gone. Yeah, it ends in a in a really um, uh, it's kind of staggered way. First, if you get the sadness of Frank being um, killed, and then Rocky being killed, and like Rocky being killed is even worse because he's like this innocent ape, and he's doing his King Kong thing. And then, you know, the, he is, uh, again, you know, too, too, too weird to live and, and sort of be allowed to... Like, that was the whole point of King Kong. He, he was displaced from Skull Island. And, you know, more on that when we do our King Kong shows. But, uh, you know, he similarly didn't have that home. So, obviously, King Kong was a huge touchstone for a lot of people who felt uh, displaced and isolated from the rest of humanity. I think, you know, a, a richer, more complex ending would be to simply leave them alive, but, uh, you know, isolated on the, you know, uh, separated from humanity. Not necessarily like a bittersweet. I, I'm a sucker for bittersweet endings. Yeah. Which I suppose technically this one is as well, because you can draw happiness from it and sadness. But they slalom between the two of them, because after Rocky dies, it cuts back to the time warp again. And it's, let's do the time warp again. It's like, let's bring the house down. Yay, time warp. And then it goes, no, you were having fun there. Let's bring it back down again with, I've done a lot. And then, like, not only are they really sad and bewildered by the whole experience, which is enough, enough, but Charles Gray basically leaves the whole audience in an existential dilemma going, life essentially has no meaning. Bye! (laughs) (laughs) One thing I'll say is I'm glad that superheroes is sort of becoming accepted as just a part of it, Mm. uh, having been re-added after, you know, having been cut from the original film the original release Mm -hmm. just because it gives you a little bit of an emotional slide into charles gray's uh epilogue there how i mean it must have been like i've never seen the version which didn't have that so does it just cut violently from the time warp to and then the the rocketing castle to and life is meaningless yep wow that's what it does that that my first time I saw it was um, on Sci Fi Channel. I think I saw that. Like, what, what just happened? What? I've done a lot. God knows I've tried to find the truth. I've even lied, but all I know is down inside. I'm. And I got the VHS and I had that too. And it wasn't until I got the 25th anniversary DVD that they re-edited superheroes into it. Why not just bring curtains down as the uh, rocket 
the, 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 the castles rocketing away and go, that was fun, wasn't it? Uh, Richard O'Brien had a message. Mm-hmm. His message is life is meaningless. Can't you tell? Yeah. <laughs> so, like, they, they really maintain that one, which, um, yeah, like I said, I, I like bittersweetness, but I don't tend to like existential crisis as the end point of your movie. Mm. You want your existential crisis about... 15 minutes before the end so that there's time to have if not resolution then at least some step back towards hope if you don't want your audience to sit there stunned blinking staring at the screen going is that it we need some kind of resolution don't we and crawling on the planet's face some insects called the human race lost in time Lost in space and meaning. Indeed, and then set foot outside Somebody the theater the and go. Globe. The absence worn off. Yeah. Oh God, <laughs> something's <laughs> coming up, and I really wish it wasn't. <laughs> So, to close out, uh, any other things we can add on Rocky Horror and uh, why it was so, uh, uh, like, you know, obviously, you guys all t- jumped at the chance to come on this one. Any any other uh, happy memories? Like I said, um, it came along in a time in my life where I was not in a good place and it helped me make friends and uh, and get back onto an even keel. So it means a lot to me. There's, it's the type of film where you can read absolutely loads into it, or you can just sit there and enjoy it and just have a lot of fun with yeah, it because yeah. it is this mad, fast romp with all the tropes and tones of sort of the B movies. And it's a cool classic. And I think it is, it's one of the few films where you can say it earned and deserves that title. There's uh, quite a few films that either aim to be a cult classic or call themselves a cult classic that don't really. I haven't really earned it. This one has. Yeah. When I first discovered Rocky, I was, I I don't know, probably 12 years old or younger. But as I've grown up, I've gotten more and more out of it. And when I got involved in the Rocky scene, which I was very heavily involved in it for a while, it really helped me start to understand who I am a little bit better. That's when I was still kind of learning my sexuality. That's when I was learning kind of, uh, what kind of perf- gender performance I prefer in many ways and how I like to go about things in my daily life. And Rocky was sort of an ex- – the whole culture around it was an accepting culture that allowed me to experiment and try out and find out who I was. And I will always kind of be grateful to uh, Richard O'Brien and Patricia Quinn and kind of everybody involved in this show because it gave me an outlet when I needed it and I think that I'm a more well-adjusted person now for my Rocky fandom, as silly as that sounds. Doesn't sound silly at all. Mm-hmm. I, I, Frankly, the, um, the opportunity that I had um, to get really into it um i i never took i was um at uh i did my degree at an arts college and um everything that that entails it was basically very heavily focused on acting and drama and um and there were some very over-the-top personalities there it was just it was that kind of place it was very small everybody knew everybody else and um the the whole 
uh, let's just say that the the um, uh, the participation screenings of Rocky were something that got done quite regularly, um, and I never went. I never participated in it. I knew people who did. Um, I had some um, some close friends and um, and uh, uh, partners who did, but I I just it didn't. I didn't feel at that time like it was something I would have been confident doing. Um, I hadn't quite got to the point where I was happy going out in corsets and stockings <laughs> and not a lot else. Are you now? Um, I, I'm nearly 40. I'm sod it. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> Just, like I said, don't do it in November. <laughs> Just, yeah, not in, not in November. You do it in November in Orlando. It's fine here. Oh, you jealous. <laughs> don't have no, weather. No, you just you just have sun every day, hot and sunny. Um, Pretty much. Yeah, um, but what you said about um, about you can you can go to one of those shows, Caru, um, and, and participate, but it it stops and then you go back to your ordinary life. I knew people who didn't. They did. That's how they lived all the time for three years. It was exhausting. <laughs> I, I can imagine. Yes. <laughs> exhausting for the characters. Yes, indeed. And uh, Megan and Ian, are you back? Yes. We lost Sorry you for a short that. while. That's fine. Um, happy, any happy memories to add regarding uh, Rocky Horror? Oh, I think seeing it live was one of my favorite Rocky experiences. It was just so outlandish and bizarre. And I've, I've, I went with a girlfriend of mine and we just had such a great time. Like laughing and playing along with the cast and singing along, the entire audience was just really great, and the cast members were clearly very into into the show. Um, and it was an all male cast, which made it just hilarious. <laughs> so yeah, I think that was that was probably one of my my favorite Rocky memories. So despite only having seen the movie three days ago. Um, I still have some familiarity with the music, and during a production of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe in high school, the entire cast would actually warm up before the show to Time Warp. Told you, so, it's for the theater. The people. Yeah. This is the theater actor's movie. Yeah, so that while I hadn't seen the movie, the music was still fairly prevalent because of that, so that's actually one of the, one of the memories... I do have because of the music and its inspiration through my like time in school. Okay, I think that this has been a 
about as fantastic a uh, show we could do on this. I think we've uh, we've done our usual thing of reading a bit too much into it, but not too much so that we ended up spoiling it for ourselves. Um, <laughs> you cannot spoil the Rocky Horror Picture Show. It is glorious. This is glorious. Um, and I have I have shown astonishing self-restraint by not basically conducting this whole thing in my Dr. Frank voice. <laughs> I would ask Sharon to slap you if you did. Mm, I would ask you to do it again. <laughs> oh. Okay, so um, happy birthday once again, Maureen. We hope you enjoyed this one. And uh, we don't. Tattoo, by the way. <laughs> yes, love the new tattoo. The first new century tattoo, folks. Uh, Maureen had like a tiger. Uh, claw marks up her uh, her shoulder which actually show the purple fur underneath suggesting that underneath her skin she is in fact the character that she embodied so perfectly uh Rawana from tiger's eye um and yeah so proud that that's going to be on her body forever you're a wonderful person to know thank you i was just going to say i thoroughly agree <laughs> <laughs> that Something is drawing near. Something huge. I can feel the ground beneath us tremble as a slow, intermittent, throbbing drum beats itself louder and louder. And then we see them. Emerging from behind the towers in the distance are behemoths I have only ever heard spoken about in stories. I have seen something like their kind before on long-ranging hunts. Enormous, graceful, noble creatures, many times the size of a full-grown tiger. We call them elephants. But these towering giants are to elephants as I would be to an infant cub. They move slowly, methodically, calling to one another in a low musical cry. So uh, we will be back next week for another dose of Tim Curry, this time dressed as a savage child-eating clown. That's such a great no. movie. With Stephen King's It. I'm so excited. And I'm fairly certain that Maureen won't be listening to that one, even if it does have Tim Curry, because she's not a fan of horror. Only Rocky horror. Okay, so how are we going to finish oh this gosh. one? Are we going to, like, uh, what's what song do they end on? Yeah, let's end on the time warp. I won't play the time warp in entirety during the episode. We'll end on the time warp now, shall we? Except that. Awesome. Okay. Right. It's astounding. It has been astounding to chat with all of you guys. Um, thank you very much to Ian and Megan Hopwood. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Karu Nagisa. Thank you so much. And Neil Taylor. Thank you very much. Okay, and we will see you guys next week for the next Spooktacular. I have been Alex Shaw. I've been Sharon Shaw. And School's School's Out. Out. It's astounding. Time is fleeting. Madness takes its toll. But listen closely. 
very much longer. I've got to keep control. Yeah. 